up, Disrupt Nation? So my name is Anthony Delgado, and this is another episode of the Disrupt Podcast. And today we have a really special guest. Uh, he's a friend. Uh, I should probably call him a mentor because the day that I met him was the day I decided I wanted to stop BSing and start my own podcast. Uh, he is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, uh, which helps entrepreneurs live the life they know they were meant to live. Uh, he started literature at Oxford University and specializes in using podcasts and new media to create celebrity and was ranked number one in iTunes, new and noteworthy, and number 27 in the business category. After his success in podcasting, Jeremy Slate and his wife founded Command Your Brand to help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on top podcasts. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show, dude. Anthony, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm honored for you to say all those wonderful things about me. I don't know about mentor, but I'm always here to help you out, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, so we met, um, we met through uh, Tom, who runs oh, the Becky. New Theory podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we, we met over some cigars and some food. And uh, I, I remember just hearing your story of like savagery, like how you got the Gary Vee interview, how you got the Grant Cardone interview, and it's just like being relentless. And uh, yeah, it really just lit a, a spark under me. And I was like, you know what? Um, I need to stop BSing. I've been talking about the Trump podcast for a long time. Like, let's just go out there and do it and make it happen. Sure. And, um, and yeah, so we went to... Uh, uh, blockchain conference and we were getting video interviews because we were doing video but we were never doing a podcast and mm-hmm. I was like you know what I'm going to take these interviews that we got on video I'm going to strip out the audio and let's and that'll be the first five or ten episodes and um but yeah man you you have like a really big catalog of guests what how many episodes are you up to now uh 471 comes out tomorrow so we've, we've had a lot at this point man I'm, I'm charging on 500 very quickly that's amazing. You're like catching up to Joe Rogan. That's amazing, dude. I, I don't know about that, man. That dude, that dude's been like, he's in, he, I think he's in the thousands now. He's been podcasting since like the beginning of time. <laughs> but uh, it's like God but, created heaven and earth, and then and then the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> yeah, on the third day, he <laughs> on the third day he created Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so, but tell us, like, how did you, how did you get started on podcasting? What made you, gave you the ambition to start your show? Well, I had failed at a lot of things, man. Like my, my background is I have my master's in early Roman empire propaganda, not a very marketable skill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like, like n- nice face, man. Um, early Roman empire propaganda, not a very marketable skill. I wrote a book, all the titles of the chapters were in Latin, not a very marketable thing. Um, so I ended up teaching high school for a little bit and I had a, a pretty rough experience when I was 24 where my mom had a stroke and it was really, really tough for me and actually brought me back to an experience where I almost, I received last rites and almost died at 19. So I went through all these different things to figure out like, what the heck do I want to do with my life? Like, what do I, what do I actually want to do with it? And in the end of 2014, I started a podcast called Rock Your Life and it was the worst thing that any human being ever created. It was, it was atrocious. Like it was like, I was like a life coach and I was going to like help you figure out your problems. And it was like, I, I did the graphic design and like, I didn't know how to use Photoshop yet, which I'm a master at now. Um, so I like, I don't even know how I did this thing. And it was, it was bad. Um, and I, I had episodes for like two months, really, really crappy. Uh, the miking was bad. The, you know, the audio was bad. The interviews were bad. 
And I quit after about two months. And it took me about six months until like the middle of 2015 to actually start this current show and just decide, you know what, who are the people out there that I think are the best and just go for it. Because I think that's what happens a lot of times when people start a podcast is they start too small and they always stay small. So for me, I was like, who are the best people out there to learn from? And I'm just going to go for it. They tell me no, they tell me no. And the very first person I emailed was Seth Godin. And he said to me, when you get to 400 episodes, I'll do it. So um, about six months ago, I emailed Seth Godin. I'm like, I'm like, I'm at 400, bro. Let's do this. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So that's the biggest thing, man. It's just like, for me, like the quality of who I talk to is really, really important. And I feel like in the last six months, especially, I, I've come up on like, what are we doing here? And I've even refined it even more where it's not just helping people create life on their own terms, but it's, it's more of breaking the chains of ordinary and becoming world class. So that's, to me, I've, I've even started turning down like 99% of pitches at this point because I'm only trying to get the people that are the best at what they do. Definitely. I love that. And, you know, I, I kind of did something similar as like creating a vision board, right? And mm -hmm. creating like, hey, episode 99 is going to be Gary Vaynerchuk just because I said so. And then the universe will kind of make it happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love that. So, so um how so 400 episodes how long did it take you to get there um well 2015 now man we're almost in 2019 so it's like wow. it's, a, it's a lot a lot of time of publishing when i first started i was doing five episodes a week um which was too much because i found like the content really really suffered because mm. it, it's hard to put together five quality episodes a week so i tracked it down to three and, and you know i even find that sometimes three episodes a week to create that much quality is a lot so I, I've even trying to reconsider like, hey, do we want to go down to just two interviews a week and do like one content driven episode? Because I think I'm kind of at the point where I can really start offering my own content to my listeners, which I really haven't been able to in the last, you know, almost four years. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've seen a lot of different um, strategies when it comes to podcasting. We actually interviewed someone. His name is um, uh, Tom.Live is uh, his show. Mm -hmm. And he has a podcast where he talks for like three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Oh, wow. And, and it's just Instagram tips. So it's just like, hey, Instagram came out with this new feature. You click a button and it adds music. And it's mm -hmm. like there's all these different people who are experimenting with different ways to deliver content. And it's, it's interesting because there's no rules, right? You look at Joe Rogan and he's doing three-hour episodes. Yeah. Where no prime time interview ever goes for three hours. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the flip side, you have people creating like micro micro content podcasts, right? Well, and there's, there's two pieces to that too that I'll say like, like with Joe Rogan, like he's got such a big communication line because he's been around so long that he gets all these like, you know, world-class and high-level people coming at him. But for those of us that are like, you know, we're established, we're doing well, but we're not Joe Rogan. Like it takes a lot of work to get those, you know, world-class type people booked. Like it's a ton of work. Like I was telling you earlier, like um, we were looking at booking Tony Hawk for this year and now they said, well, let's do it in 2019. That's really rough. So I, I think the interesting thing here, and I think for me it was a little bit of imposter syndrome is I'm like, well, what could I personally talk to my audience about? I don't feel like I have the credibility or the, or the leadership or whatever it may be where I'm finally like now, like, okay, man, well, you have some sort of value you can offer your audience. Like I'm where I'm like, let's do a five or 10 minute episode from me every week. And, and that's really one of the things I'm really looking to come into but I feel like I had a little bit of that you know I'm not quite there yet and 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 you have to kind of get past that because from wherever you are in your life you have something you can offer people yeah definitely it reminds me of a quote 
um, that it, the quote is, don't compare chapters, right? Like mm. you're in chapter 400. And if you compare yourself to Joe Rogan, you're going to feel small. But if you're giving uh, uh, guidance to someone like me, who's at episode 10 or 20 or zero, right? You're going to provide massive amounts of value, right? Yeah. Um, if nothing else, it's like a lifeline to show people like, hey, you can do it. Here's a rope. <laughs> come on up you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely it's it's interesting you mentioned that because i've seen that before but i i feel like too often i i have this idealized like what i want things to be and too often i'm comparing that like where it is right now to where i want it to be and and i think sometimes when you look at your level of success and you compare it to others which is i think is something as high performers we don't do a lot but like you 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 look at your level of success and you compare it to others. And you're like, wow, this is really good. But then you look at it where you want to be and you're like, dude, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I want to be yet. And you're, it's like, cause you're like on level five of the 27 that you want to be to, you know? Definitely. So 400 guests, a lot of really um, noteworthy and inspiring people. What are some nuggets? What are like maybe the top, top three things that you've learned from uh, interviewing 400 plus people? Well, eventually this is going to be a book, but I, I, I haven't figured out what that's going to look like yet because I get really annoyed by these, I'm an Amazon bestseller. It's like, yeah, you and 3 million other people, bro. So it's like eventually I, I want to write a book about this, but I feel like only until it's like something that's worthy of like actually making like one of the big lists. So to be continued, I don't feel like that content's there yet, but I've learned a lot of huge things from people. And I think one of the biggest thing that I, it's actually something I've learned from Grant Cardone and a bunch of the other ones is they get this wider view of success, right? Like I think a lot of times when you talk to people that are small in their business, they're like just trying to make it through today, trying to make it to the next, next thing. And these people that make it to the next level, and even Andy Frisella had mentioned this to me, this is one of the single hardest things you ever had to do was realize success is about other people outside of yourself. And once you actually start to do that, you see the bigger growth, but it's hard as hell, man, because you're like, I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that but higher levels of success is by creating success for others. But, you know, like, like I said about Andy Fursella, he said that is the single hardest shift he had to make, but that's what took him from 1 million to 200 million annually. And I, and I think that's something that's really tough to do. But when you, when you do that, it's, it's huge. Um, you know, another thing is they find people that are the best at what they do and learn from them. I think a lot of times that too many people are like, all right, I can just figure it out, bro. I can just do it. And you have to really figure out like, who's the best and how can I learn from them and how can I offer value to do that? Because, you know, it may be like a paid coaching program. It may be a paid mastermind or it may be you figuring out how can you do something for them that would be an exchange for the value they're going to give you. So that's, that's another one of the really, really big things I'm learned. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, and, and I guess the, the, the thing that we've been talking about a little bit here of the whole, I'm not there yet thing, because a lot of people that are the best at what they do are high performers at what they do. They're competing against their own best, right? They're competing against what they did last week and it's not good enough. It's got to get better. They're not actually competing against other people. They're competing against their own best and their own ideal of what they want it to be. And they're willing to put in the hours and the time and whatever it is because they know where they can go. And that was one of the interesting things um, when I talked to Don Yeager, he was the, uh, the publisher of Sports Illustrated for like 14 years, I think. And he was saying that one of the biggest things that high performers get is when they stop improving, the journey's over. And that's what happens a lot of with professional athletes is when they finally kind of reach the pinnacle of it. And there's only down from there, man. And, and I think they, they realize that you have to constantly keep improving because once you stop, the journey's over. Totally. No, I, 
I think, you know, don't compare chapters kind of goes into that too. Like compare yourself to who you are in the mirror yesterday. Yeah. And just constantly, it's like um, another thing. I'm like a, I'm like a Chinese fortune cookie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, a, it's a, a mountain with no top. So yeah. you're just going to keep climbing. It's not like you're going to get to the top of the mountain and you're going to put a flag and say, I'm the best podcaster in the world or I'm the best entrepreneur in the world, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the second that you do that, someone's going to surpass you, right? So it's yeah. a continuous climb to just improve yourself. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, it's, it's too like, like um, uh, do you know who Tim Grover is? He was a guy, he, yeah. trained, like, he trained like Michael Jordan. He's trained a lot of these big athletes, Kobe Bryant. And he, one of the big, he, he, these guys finish games at you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And, you know, after a game, Tim Grover says to him, well, what time are you going to be there? 4 a.m., 5 a.m., or 6 a.m.? Like, what time am I going to see you? Because if you want to be the best of the best, man, that, that's kind of what it looks like. It's like, it's like the, the whole idea of Grant Cardone's latest book, Obsession. Like, you have to be obsessed with what you want to do and continually being improving at it and be the best at it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think a lot of people don't have that in them. Yeah really asking for a lot um so as you know i moved to puerto rico uh like two months ago and i'm back here in new york for two weeks and i have not stopped for two weeks i leave first thing in the morning i get back in the middle of the night and then i wake up take a shower and i'm back out and i'm networking and i'm really maximizing every minute that i have here Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people come like, yeah, you should break, take, like, take a break. Like, oh, I'll take a break next week. <laughs> you know? And I'm still waiting for next week to come, but, uh, but it hasn't come yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you sleep, man? Like, is, that, is there enough time in there for that? Just sleeping. No, no. I actually think sleep is really important. Yeah. Um, but every moment that you're not sleeping, you should be working. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny, man, because I feel like when I'm, when I'm awake and when I'm going, I, I'm, I'm really going. But here, here's what I find is I find that like, and I've only found this in the last couple of years, I find that I need a lot more sleep to be able to perform at that level. I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like, um, I don't want to say I'm old, but I'm, I'm only in my early 30s. But I feel like I feel like I've needed more sleep in the last few years. Cause like, even when I, when I, my first career was teaching and you know, as a teacher, you have to be at school at like six 30 in the morning because mm-hmm. we started class at seven Oh five. And, and the toughest thing is I was doing that in like four or five hours of sleep. And that's like all I needed at, at 20, 23, 24. But you know, now if I don't get that eight hours, man, I, I feel it by about 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they say about being an entrepreneur, you know, it gives you the freedom and the flexibility to work any hour, any 80 hours that you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, get that eight hours of sleep and then the other 16, you know, you're working. Um, well, and Tim Ferriss is notorious for that, man. He's somebody that likes to work till two, three in the morning and then get up at 10. <laughs> so, well, and some people see that's the whole 5 a.m. myth. Well, what do you think about that thing? The 5 a.m. club? And I, I, I haven't know. seen yeah, 5 a.m. in years, man. You haven't seen that in years? I haven't seen 5 a.m. in years. I, I couldn't tell you the last <laughs> time I saw 5 a.m. Um, you know, actually, no, I saw it when I had to get to the airport uh, once um, earlier this year. It's just, I, I don't know, man. I, I just find that it doesn't matter what time I go to bed. Like I could go to bed at like nine o'clock. And if I tried to get up at 5am, my body's like, absolutely not, man. Like this is not happening. <laughs> so I don't know. I find that like, like, like how do you create time, right? The way you create time is by starting something and finishing it. And that's what you need to look at is, is in your day, if you're starting and finishing a lot of different things, you're going to get a lot done. 
and it doesn't matter what those hours look like. Um, I just, I know they say a lot of successful CEOs, you know, they, they get up at 5am and they also read like, I don't know, like 3000 books a year or some crap like that. <laughs> so I just, I feel like I don't know where anybody's getting these stats from. I'm sure there are a lot of people that get up earlier and are very successful at that. But for me, you know, if I'm getting up at seven o'clock, I'm happy. Like to me, that's enough to be able to get through my day and get through it. Well, you, like you can't be a zombie either. Like I think you talked about Gary V before. I think too many people watch a lot of his content and they think that's how life life is. Um, JP Sears did a, did a really funny, um, like video about that recently where he was talking about the hustle of entrepreneurship. So he's like, I'm currently in an Uber talking on the phone with the person I'm going to go meet after this Uber gets there, but that's fine, man. Cause I'm hustling. And I think that's, we we're too much into that now. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Well, and I think a lot, I think a lot of it is led by, um, this always connected kind of technology revolution. That we're yeah. in, right. Like you can't even take a break on a plane. Like you get on a plane and there's Wi-Fi. Like you can be texting and emailing and, and everything if, if you so choose. And we don't have moments of being not connected. And there's also an expectation of immediate response, immediate yeah. contact. Um, like someone texts you and you don't reply in an hour, they may be texting you a question mark emoji or something. Yeah. You're like, hey, what's up, bro? Like I texted you 35 minutes ago. Why do don't you, I have how, a reply? How do, you, how do you handle that, man? Do you set like, like times when you have like technology off and stuff like that or, or no? I just ignore people. <laughs> I just you have to wait I, so I'm inbox zero and I treat mm -hmm. my this is probably not healthy but I treat my sms list the red bubbles and the mail as a to-do list mm -hmm. and my goal is to always get to zero yeah so and I have read receipts on so you can see when I read something mm -hmm. so I will just leave something unread I'll like look at the little preview and I'll kind of know what's in there Mm -hmm. And I'll leave it unread until I uh, can address it. Well, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was actually talking about this this morning. I wrote a thing on LinkedIn about this this morning that I think there's too many people complaining about, oh, I get so much email and I get so much this and I get so much that. But here's the one thing, like how many emails do people get that they don't respond to? And then what happens? That other person's going to send the email again. Now you're getting twice as much email. And if you ignore them again, you get a third email. Now you get three times as much email. And I think we're actually creating a lot of these problems with us. I, I heard Chris Ducker uh, talk about this a number of years ago that he has three rules for email. Three things he's going to do when he gets every message. He's either going to reply to it, forward it, or delete it. Something's going to happen with that email. And I think too many times you're like, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to answer him. I'm going to read it. And, and I think we've, we've, we've created a lot of those problems for ourselves. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm big on unsubscribing too. Like, yeah, I'm like vicious. Unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Well, one of the things that actually pisses me off, so I have uh, unlimited email aliases on my personal email. Um, That's dangerous. So my email is me at anthonydelgado.me. But if I switch out the me, I can just create them. Mm -hmm. So every time that I sign up for a newsletter or even like a social network, I'll preface it. So I have LinkedIn at anthonydelgado.me. Now I know that if you're spamming me and you just pulled my email off of LinkedIn, I know exactly where you're spamming me from. Oh man, that's rough. And yeah. And then I get these autoresponders and it's like, Oh, Hey, we're friends on LinkedIn. And I think you should come to this event. Um, a lot of times those types of things will have an unsubscribe. They'll use MailChimp, but sometimes mm -hmm. they don't. They're using different, different automation that yeah. does not have an unsubscribe button. And dude, I will, if they have an email signature with a phone number, I will call them and tell them, get me 
the F off of the list, you know, because like there's a law, like you're supposed to be able to unsubscribe to itself, right? If yeah. It's automated. Yeah. Well, it's, that's why I like to call the, it's the, the boomerang hole of hell. If somebody sets you up on a, on a boomerang and I, I had this actually happen in the last week, there's this one person that has sent me a guest for my show. And that's why even like with our, with our team, like we get people on podcasts, we do a lot of outbound pitching, but a lot of it, I, I, I always, I always maintain that it should always be done by a person in real time. Because then if somebody says, Hey, I'm interested, I'm not interested, whatever, then you just leave them alone. But I, I'm stuck in what I call the boomerang hole of hell now with this one person where I've gotten the same exact email seven times. And every time I open the email, it resends the email. And I've responded to her seven times like, hey, this sounds great, but it's not, you know, in my area of interest. I'm not looking to do this. So my question is like, if I ever said yes, would she even know? Like, like because I'm stuck in this like boomerang <laughs> hole of hell where I just keep getting this email again. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like the slippery slope between like automation, like I love automation, but I also mm -hmm. love authenticity, right? Yeah. So it's that slippery slope and how can you automate things, um, but still be authentic, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I've sent out mass emails before that are personal. I actually have a tiny letter, great service, yeah. totally recommend it, um, where, where I'll send out letters and be like, hey, what's up guys, I'm going to this meetup, you guys should come or whatever. But the replies will always go to a human being. I'll always read them personally because, you know, you don't want to disconnect yourself so much, you know, and like Gary Vee talks about it, right? Like actually replying to your comments, actually reading yeah. what's happening so that you have a pulse on like your audience, right? Mm -hmm. What's one of the craziest pitches that you've ever, ever gotten to uh, be on your show? Craziest <laughs> and, pitch. And if someone really wants to be on your show, like what should be in their pitch? Um, well, first of all, don't lie. Cause I've caught some people like that, that they, they, they tell me that something happened. It didn't actually happen. Um, cause like I had, I, I had the some, Nobel peace prize. In well, no, I, I had somebody recently <laughs> like pitch me and say that they knew Arnold Schwarzenegger and they'd be to, to see if that would get them on my show. And they didn't actually know. Him. Um, it's really weird though. <laughs> and random. Yeah. So it's well, like, because hey, on my, with Gary V this one time, you should have me on your show. Like who the hell cares? Well, no, because in my, in my, I have an application for my show. One of the things I ask him is I have a bunch of like, really interesting guests that I'm looking to find. So I have at the end, do you know any one of these people um, to be, to see if basically they can refer me? Because for me, like a lot of quality people I've gotten through referrals. Like it's just really important. Like I guess, but a craziest, craziest pitch. I'm trying to think. Um, craziest pitch was, was somebody that I'm actually really good friends with now. But when she initially pitched me, it said she died for 90 minutes. I'm like, whoa, there's no way that happened. But then I Googled it and she actually like was on life support and dead for 90 minutes. And she came back, she had this whole near death experience and it was pretty incredible. And she's actually been on my show twice since then. It's my friend, Sherry, uh, Sherry May. And um, she's got an incredible story. And to me, that was the most nuts pitch I've ever seen. Like, this is almost like, I have to find out more about this. And, and, and it, it's, it's interesting though, because you're saying, how would you get on my show now? Like the thing that, like I was just talking about, we, we've kind of tried to up the caliber in what we're doing. So one of the questions that I, I ask people is, well, what makes you world-class at what you do? Because I only want to talk to people that are world-class at what they do. And you know what's funny is I, I, I find that we've actually gotten less responses to our like application after that. Because I guess they're seeing that and they're like, they're like oh, I, I, I guess I'm not a fit for the show because to me, that is the most important thing I need to know. And, and it's interesting because I've gotten people to like, well, 
you know, I help businesses to make a world-class customer experience. That was a great interview because we talked about like fortune 500 companies bring this guy in to work on their store flow and stuff like that. And that's pretty awesome and important. And so I think people can be world-class at a lot of different things. But if, if I ask that question, they can't answer it in a way that I'm like, Oh, I can see how that is. Then it's probably not going to be a fit, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. Like there's so many people behind the scenes that you know they don't have a million instagram followers and they don't uh, they're not in the spotlight as much mm -hmm. you hear their stories they're really the change makers the people that yeah. make things happen in this world mm -hmm. um one of the ones that i always bring up when people get stuck on followers um uh who's the governor of new york Co cuomo cuomo yeah cuomo, Andrew cuomo. yeah yeah, Cuomo, so he's been the governor of New York for like years, dynasty family type of guy. Yeah, he's Mario um, Cuomo's son. Uh, yeah, Mario Cuomo's son. I, I didn't want to make it. I mixed him up with the kid that's on CNN. But yeah, so Cuomo. So <clears throat> I found him on Instagram, and he's verified. He has 1,000 followers. That's it? 1,000 followers, yeah. Maybe, yeah, because I know, I know Cory Booker here in... Cory Booker here in New Jersey, man, is like rolling deep with all the followers he's got on Instagram. Yeah, he's, he's a social media whore, that guy. But, <laughs> but it just, it goes to show you like the definition of influence. And yeah. that's something that we talk about a lot. Like Cuomo is an influencer. He has influence. Like he can stop New York City's water supply if he wanted. Like that's influence, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so you'll have these people who are on social media and they may have all these followers and they're, you know, taking selfies in front of a Ferrari. But like, if they picked up the phone, what type of influence do they actually have versus mm -hmm. someone like Cuomo, who's kind of behind the scenes, right? He may not be the most, even though he's a governor, he's not the most famous person, but he actually has true influence. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I think we've become too dependent on like the numbers, right? Like we become too dependent on, which is interesting because a lot of those numbers can be faked. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, so it's like, what does influence really look like? Cause I know a lot of people are using like their Instagram accounts to like get free hotel stays and stuff like that. And it's like, if you can offer that as a value to somebody, that's great. But if that influence isn't real, what does it matter? And I, and I think that's where we're kind of in, in the, in, in the beginning, I think of a new social media revolution. And we're seeing that with a lot of these different companies and the way that they're, you know, going over verification and things like that, because they're looking at like, what does influence really mean? And, and I, I think, because you know what I mean? Because we're, we're seeing people that in the grand scheme of things, couldn't really get anybody to do anything, but they have like, quote unquote, hundreds of thousands of followers. So I, I, I think we're definitely in the, in the midst of like a new revolution on that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Okay, I know we're, we're running low on time, um, but I, I don't want to uh, skip over uh, your offering. So mm -hmm. you have a product offering for people who are trying to grow their influence, right? And trying yeah. to build notoriety and become a thought leader in the space. And you do that leveraging the technology that we're using right now, which is podcasting. So tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. Well, I know for myself, like I've seen the magic it's been. Like, like I told you, man, I was... Not to say I'm, I'm, I'm some, somebody that incredible now, but I was Joe Nobody when I started this. And podcasting has been incredible for introducing me to influencers, the right customers, the right businesses, everything. And we have been running a company for the last two years called Command Your Brand Media, where we actually help people not only locate the right shows, but we actually help them with their storytelling because we find that's really, really important to impact the audience the right way. So once we do that, we actually locate the right shows for them. We help them get booked on those shows, help them get prepped for all those shows. And uh, it's really helped a lot of our clients to do some pretty incredible things. And 
that's something we offer as a service, but for your audience, we actually have a checklist where they can actually, or a worksheet where they can take a look at this themselves and see like, well, what shows should I be looking at? How should I connect with them? How should I promote them? So we have, it's the ultimate worksheet to, to finding the right podcast and reaching out to them. And that's over at commandyourbrand.media slash checklist. Awesome. I'm definitely going to go download that for myself. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the reach of podcasts is, is pretty amazing. Um, well, and, and here's the thing I'll say to that too is like, and it's not even always reach. It's the reach of who. And you know what I mean? We found for, for clients actually, like if they're going on smaller but super industry specific shows, they have a huge ROI. Like we work with a guy that could only work with realtors. We put him on shows that were just in front of realtors, not even real estate investors. And it was like a, um, I think they did a hundred thousand revenue to like directly off of those podcasts. So it's like the numbers don't always matter. You know, but we had a, we had a client that before he worked with us was on Tim Ferriss and he only got one lead off of that show that could work with him. Like he got 2000 email inquiries that he somehow had to go through. Um, but only one person that was actually qualified to work with him. And, and I think that's, we, we were just talking about influence. That's one of the big things people are, are not realizing that a lot of these hosts are smaller influencers to the right people. And I think that's the difference with podcasting. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, I think I did my first show in 2015, 2016, like my first interview. Mm-hmm. And I still get hit up from people that are listening to that show and super niche. I, I, I got hit up from a kid who was all the way out in China and he was born and raised in the Bronx. He was Puerto Rican wow. and moved to China and he was a coder and he listened to me on the learn to code with me podcast. And he hit me up like two, two months ago. It's like, Hey, I listen wow. to your podcast, anything I can do to help X, Y, and Z. And I'm just like, wow. Like years <laughs> later, kid is on the other side of the world, but it's still getting views. And it's still, like you said, um, it, it's, it's still really super in that niche of, of technology and coding where I am. So. It's incredible because it's like, I know even with my show, like I've been listened to in 185 countries. How stupid ridiculous is that? Like I, I can't even name 185 countries, but it's like because of the internet, that's what we're able to do now. Yeah. I mean, we're able to really like compete on a global stage and I don't think anyone has really realized the opportunity to capitalize on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, like I've been actually experimenting with Facebook advertising where you can target um, geographical locations in Latin America where the clicks are cheap. They're way cheaper than they are over here. Um, and you have the ability to really like build a global brand and, and you were never able to do that. You're never able to no. take $20 and say, Hey, for $20, I want to get eyeballs in, in Latin America. Like that can never happen. And mm-hmm. now the power is, is uh, kind of democratized, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last question. Um, what does disrupt mean to you? It's looking at the normal patterns, man, just saying screw that and do something different because I think too many people are trying to do the exact same thing. You know, let Gary V be very Gary V, let Grant be Grant. Let, you know, let Richard Branson be Branson. You do you. And, you know, sometimes it's good to go against the grain, man. That's disrupting. That's creating something new and different. And that's where, that's where the beauty is, man. You know, people, people told Steve Jobs he couldn't do an iPhone. So he's like, great, let's do one. There, there's a story um, where they were the, the first Apple mouse that they created. Um, Steve Jobs wanted to build a certain way and they told him, Steve, that's not possible. So he goes, good. I'm going to lock you guys in this room 
and you let me know when you've created that mouse. And that's disruption, man. That's deciding that they're telling you it can't be done and you're going to do it. That's awesome. I love that, brother. Um, well, if people want to connect with you online and they want to learn more about what you're doing, where are the best places to do that? Absolutely. So if they want that resource I mentioned, again, that's over at commandyourbrand.media slash checklist. Or if they want to check anything out about me, the podcast, or anything else I'm doing on the personal brand side, that's over at jeremyryanslate.com. Awesome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Like I said at the top of the show, man, you're an inspiration. You're a freaking living legend in the making. And uh, it's, it's so inspirational to see you continue to do your thing, man. And, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it.